Grace, mercy, peace to you. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we didn't share this reading today in this service, but this past Thursday on the church calendar, we celebrated the Ascension of Jesus, where he, he rose up, he talked to his disciples, and, and then rose up into the sky, it says. And, and I love this image, right? Because here, here in Houston, when you talk about the space program, it's mission control, right? Like you're watching stuff on a monitor. Houston, we have a problem now, all that. But in Florida, that's the place where the rockets go up into the sky. My parents, having just lived in Cocoa Beach and moved away, uh, they regularly would be sitting there watching TV and suddenly they'd hear this rumble and their windows would start shaking. They'd oh, they're shooting off a rocket. Like they would just be commonplace, right? I remember growing up when they were still doing the shuttle program, um, all the way as far away as Orlando, you could be out doing something and you would know they're shooting off the shuttle today. And I remember being at one of my little sister's softball games and they literally like called timeout in the game and everybody turned and watched as the shuttle went up into, and you could follow like the plume with the, the boosters and everything, and you'd be like, ooh, is it, was it still there? Is it past that cloud, right? You're, you're kind of watching it. That's what I picture, and I've said this before, that's what I picture the disciples as they're like watching the, the, the Jesus go up into the sky, the ascension, they're like, is that, is that, is, is that him? No, that's a crow. No, what, is that, is that still Jesus? And they're like so busy watching the ascension of Jesus that literally it says some angels appeared. Like the angels were like, oh my goodness. I kind of wonder how long they were standing there, right? The angels are like, when are you going to notice that there are angels? There? And finally, they had to be like, hey, guys, guys, I know it's cool, right? You guys don't get to see things go in the sky very often, but don't worry, in a thousand or so years, it's going to happen all the time. But for you guys, like, this is a big deal. But hey, remember, Jesus just gave you a job, right? And right before he did that, he said you are to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth all the way sharing the gospel. And I think sometimes we get kind of caught doing the same thing, uh, watching God, waiting for a connection for God, wondering why it feels like God is so far away, perhaps even in this service, sitting and trying to find this connection to God and forgetting that in the meantime, God has given us a mission. God has given us a challenge to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, from Memorial to Houston to Texas to the United States to the very ends of the earth, sharing the gospel. We have a responsibility to do that. Now, for today's message, we're going to be looking at some of the distractions that get in the way of that, some of the things that the world throws at us, that, that the devil throws at us, that distract us from that mission, that distract us, quite frankly, from connecting with God. But before we go into that, let's go to our God and prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we get to come together here in person, online, and worship. Focus us on you, Lord, that we may be present with you. Lord, of course, I thank you for the chance to share this message. I humbly submit myself before you that the words that I speak are not my own, but instead that they are from you. Let them be the meditation of your heart. Lord, as we all submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit, help us to do so with humility, to know that your truth is what sustains us. Your truth is what we need to hear. And so we pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak your truth in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, special welcome 
to those of you joining online, it is great to have you. Those in person, uh, you can always go back and listen to or watch the sermons on YouTube. You can share them that way as well. Our main text for today is going to be that 1 Peter chapter 5 reading that we heard just moments ago. A um, little context. You know, Peter, we, we often hear from Paul for the epistle. We get to hear from Peter this time. And Peter is obviously traditionally viewed as kind of the father of the church. Of course, in the Catholic Church, they believe that the Pope, the papacy, comes from the line of Peter. And it's a continuation where, where Jesus said, you are Petros, you are the rock upon which I will build this church. Now we believe that perhaps not necessarily the person, Peter, but instead the faith of Peter is what well, we build the church upon. But nonetheless... Um, so Peter is pretty influential in speaking to the church, whether it be ancient or modern. And so he is, in our reading, exhorting the church a number of things. He starts off by talking about elders and young people. Now, he could be talking about age here. He could be talking about those of you who are physically older and those who are physically younger, right? He could be talking about uh, your faith life, those who had been part of this movement called The Way, this early Christian uh, movement, that those of you who are further along in that, you are have a responsibility to care for those who are new to faith. It could be a, a kind of a church leadership system, right? You hear elder and you think of like elder boards and committees and things like that, but that's more of a modern creation. Uh, some of the organizational charts of the church, you didn't really see that in biblical times. Like even the role of pastor when it comes to like boss and administrator and stuff like that didn't really exist biblically. Um, but it's kind of a modern creation. And so most likely what he's talking about here are those who, for whatever reason, are more experienced and those who are less experienced. And he gives these challenges. He says to the elders, it is your responsibility to care for the church and to make sure that it is essentially ready for those who are young. Again, either it be age or experience-wise. To prepare the way for them. You have a responsibility to make sure that the church is a place that welcomes them. And then he goes on to say, uh, those who are younger, submit to your elders. And I got to tell you, I have heard older folks take this verse out of context and say, boy, this is what's wrong with the world. These young people, they're not respecting their elders. I'm like, God, oh, did you read the verse right before that? That talks about elders making sure that you are creating things that are there for the young people. Because there's kind of a, it's a two-way street there, right? And there's this responsibility that we have, but then it goes on uh, to talk about the, the distractions that we may encounter. He, he's praying essentially that the church should be unified, which of course is what we see at the very end of our gospel reading in that powerful statement, may they be one as God is one. And with that, or that comes from humility. But it gives this evocative image in the first Peter reading of the devil as a prowling lion, a roaring lion. And the word there, devil, of course, we often use as like a name of, of a single entity, but it's diabolos, uh, which means lies or deceit, right? So really, it's the lies of the world is kind of what he's referring to there. Um, or it could be a single entity, but either way, deceit and deceiver. And so it says that the evil is lurking around like a prowling lion ready to devour and that we are to be on our guide. And so with this idea that this, these lies, these deceit, that is what's trying to consume us, 
I said, okay, so what are these lies? And from this reading, there are a couple of things that stood out to me. The first one really is a lie of the world. Like this is a lie that the world has latched onto throughout history. And, and it just speaks to each and every one of us. Because I guarantee you, to some degree, this, you've believed this lie. And that is, might is right. That strength is power. Because, see, we, we live in a world where the more influence you have, the more money you have, the further you are in your position, the higher your rank, the more power you have, the more say you have, the more you have influence. And thus, that is conceived to be better. And yet we see in this reading what is actually drawing people together? Humility. Not power, not might, not strength. Humility. We live in a country where, where entire political campaigns are built on trying to show their opponent as weak and thus wrong. We live in a government where there are trillions of dollars spent on the military because might is right. And of course, there's left-hand kingdom, right-hand kingdom stuff. There's the, the secular world. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to us as Christians, when it comes to how we should be seeking to grow, it's through humility. Our psalm of the day that we read in our early service, it talked about God conquering these nations. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this seems to, to go against what we see in First Peter. And yet, reminder, it's God doing the work. It's not us. Because so often this, this message of might is right, strength is power, it comes to the individual. It massages our ego, our hubris. We ourselves seek to grow in power and strength to dominate and conquer rather than submit and be humble. And that's difficult. That is a tough thing to say, and yet that is the teaching of Jesus. Look at God and how he interacted with his people throughout history. God's people, his chosen nation that he raises up throughout the entire Old Testament, is Israel, not Egypt, not Rome, not the Greeks, not the Mayans, not the various Asian civilizations that had great dynasties. No, no, these weren't the famous ones. These were the Israelites who wandered, who were kicked out, who were exiled, who couldn't even go back to their homeland. These, these meek people, these were the ones that God said, these are my chosen people. And out of the Israelites, he raises up people that we recognize to be great heroes, right? David and Moses. Well, David, his crowning achievement was taking down the very embodiment of power and strength. The Philistine, the, the champion of the Philistines, the one that everybody else was afraid of because he was so strong and powerful. Little David, the shepherd with a slingshot, humbly takes down Goliath. And then he doesn't go on, oh, look how great of a hero he is. No, he becomes an adulterer. He becomes somebody who does atrocities. And yet he's still used by God. Moses. Moses was put literally into the seat of one of the greatest dynasties in the history of humanity, in the middle of that Egyptian dynasty, put into the throne room, and yet then what does he do? He runs away. He runs away, and then when confronted with God, saying, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt, what does he say? Not me. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not capable of that. And God says, that's exactly what I need to hear. See, we, we must conquer through humility. I, it's not lost on me that this is written by Peter. Peter, who, when Jesus was being arrested, right? Because people, when they were looking for a Messiah, they were thinking it was going to be this great warlord. 
They were thinking he was going to be a political leader, and they're like, uh, a carpenter? A guy who goes around and is chased by the Pharisees? I don't know about this. And so he's getting arrested, and what does Peter do? He draws his sword. He fights back, uses strength and power. It says that he literally cuts off the ear of the assistant to the high priest. So how does Jesus respond? Does he grab the sword and say, let's fight? No, he says, put your sword away, and he heals. That's how God wins. He heals. See, in the American church, we have started this idea that we have to be stronger, we have to be louder. We have to stand firm and fight back. But in reality, Jesus says, no, put your sword to the side. Trust in him. God will win, but he's going to win through humility. The second lie that we see, that we encounter, and this one comes really from that image of the prowling lion, right? If you've ever seen a nature documentary and you've seen like a, a predator going after prey, it doesn't like stand up and say, hey, all you prey, I'm here, get ready to get eaten. No, what does it do? It lurks, it stalks, it hides until the right moment because he wants to lure them into a sense of false security. That's the second lie, that you are safe. I know that sounds difficult to hear, right? But it's one of the most powerful lies that's out there. Because when you're safe, you don't need a savior. There's a reason that Christianity is taking off in places of persecution and need, places like Africa, places like China, places like Cuba. Because there they recognize what it means to need a savior what it means to need hope. But here, oh, when you're a sheep sitting in the green pasture, you're going, who's this guy with this stick? And why is he always following us around? Why do we need him? We're fine. Everything's great. It's only in those moments of calamity, in those moments of struggle, in those moments of stress that you suddenly realize that you need a Savior. This is why I've said that, that when it comes to a funeral, I can reach 100 more people than I ever could at the biggest wedding. Because at a funeral, you are face to face with your mortality, something that is true for each and every one of us. This is part of the reason it's so difficult to get young people into church, because they feel invincible. Their mortality seems forever away. And as people get older and their bodies start breaking down, they start going, oh, I, I should probably think about this. I should probably consider my own mortality. I should probably consider what, what do I believe happens to me when I die. Suddenly, you start to ask, do I need a savior? This lie of you are safe. We live in a nation and in a church where we have become entitled. I've said before that Christianity is at its worst when it is fat and lazy. And when we expect that the schools are going to teach our beliefs, that we don't have to because they're going to take care of it. When we expect that our government is going to stand by and make sure that everybody hears the word of Christ, we have become fat and lazy. We have let go of our own mission as the church. When we expect that the government is going to care for the poor, care for the needy, those things that the church is charged to do by Jesus himself, we have become fat and lazy. The church should be active. The church should be healing. The church should be a place where we come together, not in judgment, but instead recognizing that we all need to be healed. That's what leads to this third lie. Because when everything is good, here's the reality. I go through the prayer request every single week, and I don't get too many prayer requests that say, Dear God, everything's cool. Thanks. Amen. 
Usually it's, you know, I have a surgery coming up, or I need some money, or I need this, or, and it's expressing a need. It's expressing a need for a Savior. We treat God like he's a vending machine. I'm a little, little peckish. I'm going to go over here and let's see. I need boop, boop, healing. Got it. Uh, more money. That was nice. Get some of that. Like We treat God as though it's something that we go to to get something from. But instead, we fail to see that when things are good, that is God. When things are good, that is God. So that third lie is what happens when things go bad. And we start to struggle. Because again, I'm going to go back to the nature documentaries. You've seen if there is a herd of animals... What does the predator do? Picks them off one by one. Doesn't run right into the middle of the herd, right? Uh, the fish actually have this design where they, they ball up and the, the shark is like, whoa, what do I do with that? Zebras literally camouflage with each other. The third lie is you are alone. When you encounter stress, when you encounter tragedy, when you encounter struggles, the world tells you you're all on your own. Nobody can understand. Nobody wants to listen to you. Keep it inside. Don't seek help. Don't tell anyone. Don't burden anybody. Those are the lies of the world because it's so much easier to pick you off when you're on your own. But look around. That's the point of the church. We should all be healing people, helping people heal. We should all be people coming together, basking in the glory of God, not in our own glory, not in how great we are, how we have everything together and the lie that that is, not in the facade of perfection, but instead going to each other and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. And hearing them when they say, yeah, I've been there, or maybe I'm there right now. That's the power of small groups. That's the power of church and community. That's the power of accountability. We live in a culture that says, no, no, to talk about your mental health, to talk about these struggles, that's weak. Yeah, what was the very first thing we talked about? That might isn't right. That humility is how God wins. And so sometimes it takes humility to say, I am struggling right now. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are not alone. Even as the disciples stood there and looked up to the sky, the, the person that they had followed and they couldn't see him anymore and they thought, we're all on our own. You remember, just before that, Jesus says, when I go, I'll leave with you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to guide you, that third member of the Trinity, still God himself. No matter what you are going through, you are not alone. God has provided you, yes, community, but we also recognize that we're broken people. We also recognize that we're sinful and sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we become selfish and, and don't seek to help others. That's sinful, but it's reality. But God will never abandon you. God will never leave you alone to deal with it by yourself. Trust in him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And as we go on this mission, this challenge to sh share that news, to share the gospel with the world, I'm reminded of what comes at the very end of the Great Commission. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You're not alone. Trust in God. Submit yourself to him humbly. Submit yourself to his will. Know that God is at work. You may not be able to see it in this moment, Maybe you're thinking, boy, I could go for a little bit of safety right now. 
I'm in the midst of the storm. I'm in the midst of the struggle. Know that God is with you. Submit and know that humbly God will win. He's by your side, guiding you through this. Surely God is with us to the very end of the age.